0: It's a real joy to be with you here this morning. Thanks to Alan for the welcome. Uh, it's made me giggle that uh, of all the things that Alan might know about me, he's picked up the fact that I'm a Liverpool fan. That says something about some of my, some of my big passions. I know that Malcolm shares that passion as well. But I have to say about the Glory Hunter thing, I did start supporting Liverpool in 1992, which is pretty much the worst time to start supporting Liverpool. So I'm enjoying these, uh, these happier happier moments just now. I'd like to just uh, share the greetings of Hillview uh, Community Church and Kintour Community Church. Kintour is a, a church plant uh, from Hillview that, that started about three years ago or so. It's an exciting time for us in the church. We just appointed a, a pastor uh, for the church there in Kintour, and that's a, that's been a really wonderful thing for us to pursue, and, and he's settled in now. We had his commissioning a couple of weeks ago. So I bring you the greetings of of that those churches, um, and I just want to express just how... Thankful I am to be here. I, I have a great connection with EBC, not least through my family uh, who, are, who are part of the, the, the church here. But also just I, I love keeping up with what's going on in your world via things like Facebook. And it's just so striking to me to see the heart that this church has for those who are in deep need. In physical ways and spiritual ways and in every way. I'm just blown away by how much you guys get up to in terms of caring for this local area, but also the whole world. I, I saw recently your Blythewood shoeboxes. How many shoeboxes went out from to Blythewood? 189. Unbelievable. Sorry. Samar, Samaritan's Purse. Just incredible. It's like, whoa. And I, I just, I'm, I'm glad to see so much of what God is doing among you. So God bless you in that. And I'm also just, I have to say, I'm really thankful for, for William. William's been a huge encouragement to me in many ways over the, the recent months. And I'm just thankful uh, for, for him and Karen and, and, and the whole church family. So it's great to be here. I'm really glad to be here this morning. I want to start by asking you a question. What is it that might seek to keep you from knowing and embracing the blessing that God has for you and for this world. God is a God who wants to bless you, who has good gifts for us. We're going to look at some scriptures that just make that so clear in a few moments. But in our lives, in this world, day to day, week to week, there are things that stand in the way of us receiving and living in the blessing of God. What are those things for you? You might conceive of them as enemies that you encounter. Things where you you know that God, maybe some of you know, I hope some of you know, that God is good, God loves you, God has good for you, but as you seek to pursue that, there are almost obstacles in front of you, structures that you encounter, struggles that you face that might leave you with a sense of, difficulty or, or fear or foreboding that, that sometimes leave you thinking, I can't get to that place. That, the, the good things that God has for me, I just I don't find myself getting there. Is it really true? Are God's promises true? Does God really love me? Because I, I'm struggling here to get to them because there are, there are circumstances I encounter. There are fears that I have, worries that I have, enemies I face that seem to keep me from getting after what God has for me. We all have things that keep us from God's blessing. Some serious, we've been thinking about today, and and some not so serious. I'll give you a couple examples of recent things that have gotten in the way of me knowing the blessing of God in my life. Tax returns. Anyone get a reminder recently that they need to fill out their tax return? I got got such a letter through it, and, and it particularly gave me a sense of fear and foreboding because For this year, for the first time, I'm going to try and fill it out myself online rather than send all my stuff to an accountant to do for myself and Lindsay's tax return. And when I got that letter, I realized the deadline was coming and I did not immediately feel the peace and glory and goodness of God's blessing. Uh, So in that moment, I did what any diligent person would do. I... Took a deep breath and I took that reminder and I put it on top of the already ridiculously high pile of papers in my kitchen to be sorted through. For Anyone do that? They've got a pile that is to, to get to at some point. That's what I did. I put the paper there and I thought, I'll get there at some point. And I breathed in and out God's grace again. Another example of obstacles that keep me from knowing God's blessing. Um, we are in this time uh, of the year when it's the ridiculously large spiders in the house season of the year. You know it, right? They've had all summer in the warmth. They get nice and big, and now they're cold, and they're coming. We're almost through it this this season, I think, but they're now in the house. And I had a a moment a few weeks back where I was lying in bed, just getting ready to rest in God's beautiful peace, and I look up, and I have no idea why. I think my, my spidey senses must have been tingling, And I look up and there is a spider crawling up the duvet towards me in that moment. A huge spider. So I did what any diligent man would do. I jumped out of bed, screamed, got Lindsay to deal with it. And then jumped back into bed and fell asleep in God's peace. Now these are, of course, just silly examples. But I'm sure we can all think of things that fall into this category. Battles we face. Obstacles to get past. Enemies to be defeated as we seek to live life in relationship with God, in God's peace, in God's goodness. What are those things in your life? What is it that would seek to keep you from knowing and embracing the blessing that God has for you? Do you know that God loves to bless his people? He is a God who gives to us over And over again. And one of the ways that we acknowledge who God is is to come with a posture to receive of God's goodness. Now, not in some sort of selfish, consumerist way that we're demanding that God would meet all my particular needs, but we come to God like beggars who have been invited into a banquet. We come to God like a parched traveler who's been led who's been walking through the desert and who's been led to a place of refreshment, drinking, or or maybe, to be honest, a better analogy for, for Aberdeen would be we come like someone who's soaked, who's been offered a change of clothes and an umbrella for the journey onwards. We come to God and we receive with gratitude and with worship. We say thank you that you are a God who loves to give good gifts to us. And we can see this right throughout Scripture, God's heart to bless his people. So right from the very first pages of the Bible, he creates women and men in his image. And he creates them for what? He creates them to enjoy him, to enjoy his presence, to enjoy the beautiful creation which God had just said was very good, And then after God creates this beautiful world and creates men and women, what's the first thing God does? He gives them a day off. This is our God. He gives them a day of rest just to enjoy Him and to enjoy the beautiful world that He's given. Track forward a few chapters and we get to, in Genesis, we get to the story of Noah and the flood. And you think of the horrendous mess that mankind made of the world. But what is God's response to that? God's response, yes, is a response of judgment And it is also a response where he sets things right. He makes things correct and in balance again for his people. Track forward again to Genesis chapter 12. This time we have God's promise to Abram. What is God's promise to Abram? He says that I will bless you and I will bless a people through your descendants. And and indeed those people I will lead to a land of blessing. And through them I will bless all the nations. Of the earth. See God's heart to bless, to give. And then, time and time again, despite constant grumbling, despite constant sin, pushing God away over and over again, God reiterates his plan to the people of Israel to bring blessing and peace. I'd I'd like to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter three, because what we see is that when God's people get themselves in a mess, God does not just free them from that mess, but in freeing them, he, he, he wants to lead them to goodness and blessing beyond their, or I, I believe, our wildest dreams. So in Exodus, God is not just confirming his plans to lead his people into a land, the promised land. It's not any old land, but listen to the nature of the inheritance that God's people have. So Exodus chapter three, verse seven. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land. Now, if you were to pause there, that would be good news. Persecution, suffering, slavery, captivity. And God said, I've I've heard their cries and I'm going to free them from that place. And I'm going to bring them into a land. But, But that's not all that God says. Listen to the nature of this inheritance. Bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. A land flowing with milk and honey. Then it goes on to to state some details about that type of land. I'm not just going to free them from slavery. I'm not just going to lead my people to some random place of peace. But this freedom will be in a good land, in a broad land, a land of abundance and beautiful taste and goodness. This is who God shows himself to be Time and time again. I, I hope you know that Ellen Baptist Church. That God is a God who loves. Who gives. Who blesses. But the reality is for us. That blessing can still seem far off. I wonder if you can relate to that. Do you ever feel like that? God has made promises. God has shown himself faithful. Faithful. Despite grumbling, despite complaining, despite struggle, disunity, division, rebellion, missteps on our part. God has shown himself faithful again and again. But that victory, which we we believe is ours, does not feel secure yet. Doesn't feel secure yet. Fear can creep in. Mistrust and despair can creep in. But God leads us on, dear friends. God leads us on. And really where I want us to spend a bit of time today is in the book of Joshua. So if you could turn to Joshua, we see this as, as the story of the people of Israel unfolds. We see God's relentless heart to not let them give up on the, on, the, on the confidence that he has goodness for them, blessing for them as we step forward in our paths that God has for us. I want us to think about this this morning because we see this reality. I love the mix in the Bible. Don't you love the mix in the Bible of rock, solid certainty and hope that we've just been singing about that keeps the soul steadfast and sure. And yet the Bible is just so real about the struggles of life, about the difficulties of life, about, about the stumbling effort that we make as we, as, as we are led forward by God. I love the mix. And here we get this mix in Joshua because there are challenges that come to test the faith of God's people. So look at the first two verses. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now that's a big moment for the people of Israel. That would raise the pulse a little bit, for God's people. Here is their great leader who had, under God, of course, who had secured freedom for his people. And now he's gone. And of course, the people will be thinking, now what are we going to do? Are we going to call a meeting? Are we going to regroup? Are we going to take a year to just reflect and ponder what's next? What is going to happen to us? What strategy are we going to pursue? How are we going to move forward? Let's keep reading. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. Get up, God says, get going into this land that I am giving you. It says there, God is doing this just now. Even as the people are encountering this difficulty, the sense is just get up, pick yourself up and keep going. And then you have these amazing words from verse five, just words of great hope and assurance, but also weighty and challenging. Listen to these words, verse five. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. God's saying this to Joshua, just as I was with Moses, So I will be with you. Now begin to listen as God's people are being encouraged by God to keep stepping forward into the good plans that he has. Listen to how crucial not just the land is. It's not about a land flowing with milk and honey. The crucial thing that we're going to hear again and again is that God's presence goes with them step by step. So listen, I will not leave you, verse 5, or forsake you. Be strong and courageous For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed. For why? How? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Have faith, God's saying to his people, be strong, don't give up, because I am with you. And then what we see in the coming chapters is that Joshua is empowered by God to lead his people forward. Do you remember spies are sent into the land to check out the place that God has for them into Jericho? They're they're kept safe through this great hero of the faith, Rahab. And Rahab, in that story, she she recognizes God's powerful hand leading his people forward. In chapter 3 of Joshua, there is this small matter of, of the crossing of the great river Jordan. We see that God miraculously holds back the waters. And we can see here in this little account, we're going to read from verse 14. Again, note the importance of the power and the presence of God in, in this story, how it's written about. So verse 14 of chapter 3 says, So when, all, when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people... So there's the presence of God right at the front. Verse 15. And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the ark. In case you've forgotten, the ark of the covenant's there three times now. We've heard that. Bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. And here's just a little parenthesis to highlight how, how challenging this would have been. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. Says the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathan, and those flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now, in case you've forgotten it almost, now the priests. Bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. So the people cross this great river. God's presence right there in the midst of them. God working miracles for them. And then in chapter 5, the people get a little bit of a foretaste of what life in this land is going to be like. Look at verse 10 of chapter 5. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening of the plains of Jericho. What are the people doing there? When they're keeping the Passover, they're remembering again. They're remembering God's rescue. They're remembering God's salvation that they can trust this God He's a God of goodness and blessing. And then look at verse 11. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan this year. What a moment this would have been for the people of Israel a taste of what was to come. A taste of the goodness of the, not just manna anymore, but rich, beautiful food. is coming, God's saying. "Is coming, but they're not there yet. And just before now, we're going to come, the last little bit we're going to look at in Joshua is, is the story of Jericho. Just before they get to this huge challenge of Jericho, there is this rather bizarre encounter at the end of chapter 5. Let's read from verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries, our enemies? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. I mean, this is a curious encounter with this representative of God. This is a manifestation of the presence of God himself. And there's, it's reminiscent, isn't it, of Moses' encounter with God with the burning bush. And on one level, it's, it's, it's a bizarre few verses because it doesn't seem to push the narrative on at all. You start reading and go, why was this story here? Even Joshua's question, he says, are you for us or for your enemies? no. Comes the reply, well, which is it? He just says, that's the wrong question to be asking. The point is this, that this messenger is here from God. This messenger is here for God. And the point that in the midst of this journey, they've had struggle, they've had the taste of what to come. They're about to encounter Jericho. The point here is, keep in mind, God is with you. God is here. This is a holy place. Don't give up. God is faithful. God has made promises. But the victory is not yet fully known, fully felt, fully realized. Jericho is still there. Now let's read how this comes about, this next moment. The fall of Jericho. My Bible has that as its little heading there. Chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Now, Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. It's done. That's what verse 2 says. It's done. The victory is secure. God has shown himself faithful. I have given, past tense, Jericho into your hand. Yay! He's done what he said he would. He has brought his people from captivity into the promised land as he said he would. They're free, they're blessed, their future is secure. The milk and honey can flow. The clusters of fruit can be picked and enjoyed. The celebrations can start Forget these mighty men of valor, Joshua. Forget these mighty men, these kings, these rulers, the people of Israel, because it's finished. God's people are home. They've nothing to fear ever again. I have given Jericho into your hand. God has shown himself victorious. And dear friends, that is the tone of the whole Bible. This is the tone of the whole Bible that we are victorious people in God. Because hundreds of years later, as was promised, a descendant would come from Abraham's family who would come to bring blessing to the whole world. Jesus Christ, the true and better Joshua. Joshua. The one through whom God would really save not just a nation, but from that nation, he would save from all nations of the world. Anyone who would come to him through the coming of Jesus Christ, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, through his ascension into heaven and the sending of his spirit. He secures victory for all the people of God. He, he gives it Into our hands, just as he gave Jericho into the hands of the people of Israel in chapter 6, verse 2. This is the tone of the New Testament. The New Testament resounds with this victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. So Jesus comes on the scene. And what does he say to his people? He says, the kingdom of God has come. Even though the people of Israel are, are in captive to the Roman authorities, even though there's deep struggle and suffering in the, in the multitudes of people that Jesus encounters, he says, the kingdom of God is among you. Is now. The kingdom of God has come. This is our Jesus who says, take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world, he says. I've done it. Paul then writes, thanks be to God who gives us the victory, who also writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Do you see that he then goes on to speak about how God chose us before the foundation of the world and he says, God has blessed us in Christ with every blessing in the heavenly places. This is Paul who also writes that we have been set free from the law of sin and death. This is God, this is Paul, sorry, who also says that Jesus has already triumphed over every evil, over every power that would hold us back. How has he done that? He's done that on the cross. It's a moment in history that we look back to, that we can be confident about. This is Paul who also says that we are more than conquerors, over trouble and persecution, even things like famine. We're more than conquerors over these things. And remember Peter, who says that we have been healed through Jesus' wounds on the cross. This is the tone. Of the New Testament, just like Joshua 6, verse 2, I have given Jericho into your hands, but infinitely greater. Now we're not talking just about some physical land that has been secured for one particular people, but, but the New Testament speaks of the victory that is ours. Again, not just a physical space, but a cosmic victory that would bring eternal peace and everlasting joy in a perfectly renewed heavens and earth. And just like Joshua 6 verse 2, the tone of the Bible is, it's done. It's given into your hands through Jesus' victory as you are united in him, as you trust in him. All that is his is ours. It's infinite blessing forevermore and for now. God is faithful to his promises. It is done. You can't get away from that when you read the scriptures, especially the New Testament. It's done. But just like Joshua, I suspect we hear that story that God has delivered these enemies and then we look up and we see The walls of Jericho, or whatever enemy you're facing, whatever struggle you're facing. We hear about some of them this morning. Mary Stewart, I think, and the loss that will bring great sadness and heartache to many of you, I'm sure. The dear family we're praying for after the car accident. I know those are just two examples of, I'm, I'm certain that many of you are traveling through deep Struggle, financial difficulty, relational breakdown, depression, anxiety, sleeplessness, cancer, struggle of all sorts of kinds. And this is our life, right? We hear promises of God in the Bible and then we look up and see walls before us. I know, God, that you have blessing for me, but how on earth that I Make that real. How are you going to make that real in my life? Well, in Joshua 6, God has more instruction for his people. I mean, the story should end at verse 2, right? The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You can imagine Joshua saying there, you know, it says, see. God calls him to see. And he says, See? See, Okay, God, I'll see. Well, all I can see are these walls before me. You're going to have to help me with this seeing. So he does. Verse 3. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Now, what is this about? This is strange, right? The victory was secure. God said, it. I've given them into your hands. What's going on here? Why this public spectacle? Why these seven days of difficulty? It's because I believe it's this. God does not just give us the victory, but he draws us in to his victory. Yes, God had given Jericho into their hands but he wanted his people to participate in that victory, to participate in that triumph. Here's the thing. God gets glory and we get joy, not just by him giving the victory, but in how he gives us the victory. And part of that is how we are called to defiantly lift up Our victory cry, even in the face of the enemy still seeming to cling on before us. And that's what happens in these days as they're marching and circling the city and trumpets blowing continually. And did you note that the presence of God was right there in the midst of them? And then you have this final day of circling the city, this time seven times. And then you have this incredible cacophony of the victory cry and the final trumpet blast and the walls come crashing down. God is making a spectacle of his enemy and he's drawing his people in to share in that. And this is where we find ourselves this morning in the story of salvation over age to age The enemy is done for. The enemy has been given into our hands through what Christ has accomplished. Not because of anything good we've done, but all because of Jesus Christ and his victory. And then the tone of the scriptures is clear. Blessing is certain. Victory is secure. And here we are this morning, circling the enemy with God in our midst No longer lifting up an ark of the covenant, but we now lift up the cross of Jesus Christ. By which, as it says in Colossians 2, God has truly disarmed all powers, all authorities, making a public spectacle of them by triumphing over them by the cross. So we lift high the cross of Jesus Christ and we figuratively sound the trumpet or the recorder and the piano and the singers and the, and the drum here this morning as we've been doing and we raise a victory cry. That's what we've been singing about this morning, about our God who gives us rest as we wait upon him, about our God who has hope for us as sure and certain as an anchor for the soul. We've been lifting high our victory cry and we do that certain that the final day is coming when the walls of struggle that you're facing hostility difficulty sickness pain disappointment and evil those walls those walls will indeed come tumbling down but until then we're circling and this is not easy right I mean, can you imagine how it would have felt for the people of Israel? Imagine how ridiculous that first day would have felt. Walking around that city, you know, kind of lining up, getting in in line and in order and marching around in silence apart from the, the trumpets blaring. And then the circuit was finished and then there's that moment of, well, what do we do now? I guess it's back to the camp. I don't know how long it took them to go around. I don't know how long they had left for the rest of the day. What were they chatting about? What on earth was all that about? What is Joshua say? Joshua said, God told us to do that. And then the next day, I mean, can you imagine? It's something they must have wanted to give up, right? Some of them. And, and here, just by the way, is, is an important thing to remember about the importance of the community of God's people. Some of them must have wanted to give up. This is weird. I'm out of here. But, but there's something there about they were, they were together. They were encouraging one another to line up. Don't give up. Stick in. Keep going. That's how you need to be for one another. There's, there are times, right, when we just don't have the strength to stand. We don't have the strength to circle, to line up. And we need our brothers and sisters around about us who can say, don't give up. Keep going. I'll hold you as we walk around. As we circle this enemy that you're facing just now, I'll, I'll hold you. This isn't easy, dear friends, but this is where we are. I mean, to so many in our world, to the people of Ellen and the surrounding area just now, what we are doing this morning looks just like that circling of Jericho. It looks ridiculous. What are you doing coming here, reading this book, praying these prayers, singing these words with arms high, in a sense, in victory, When there are tears streaming down your face, when there is a world in need, what are you doing? Singing as if this battle is done. Singing as if the victory is yours. When you're right in the middle of the chaos and turmoil without the eyes of faith, it just looks crazy as it must have done for the people who are looking down from the towers. What are those people doing circling? But the victory had been given. The victory had been given. It looks crazy, but there is such beauty here for those who are walking with Jesus Christ. There's such beauty in in knowing that God is with you as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In In our church family just now, we have had just some days that have just put everything in perspective again. A few weeks ago on a Sunday, we had a prayer meeting after church And the prayer meeting was for a family uh, of a one-year-old who had just that previous week been diagnosed with cancer. And then later that day, one of our dear sisters who'd been battling cancer for a couple of years went to be with Jesus after a very sudden deterioration in her condition. And then that same day, a beloved brother who was preaching with you not so long ago, Dominic Smart, in our in our congregation, suffered a huge new complication with the cancer in his body. Just these three things in that one day, and there's been other difficulties since, just hit us all so hard in the church. But it also is just so perspective-setting. It just recalibrates you to what is true and important in those moments. And there has been something of such beauty In those days, as we have lifted high our victory cry, even as we circle the enemy of particularly, in this case, cancer, every one of those families, through grieving, through questions, through sometimes anger, lifting high their cry of victory to God, even just feeble and small though their call may be. God, I know you're enough. God, I know you have this. God, I know that I can trust you. Lifting high our arms in victory with tears strolling down our face. Here's the point. That makes God look glorious. That's why God does this because it's a beautiful testimony to those around about you. It shows that God is enough in those moments, that he is not a means to an end. As if, God, I'll praise you when everything goes okay in my life. I'll thank you when you give me what I think I want. But the point is that when when we lift high our victory cry, as we circle the enemy, it shows that God is not a means to an end, but God is the end himself. Do you remember Psalm 73? Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is none that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart, and we might add my job, my family, my health, my finances, my relationship, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. God is, and he is my portion forever. God gets glory, dear friends, and we get joy, not just by him giving us the victory, but in how. He gives us the victory. And part of that is to know that we are called to defiantly lift our victory cry even in the face of the enemy clinging on before us. So I ask you again, what are those enemies before you? What are those obstacles before you that would keep you from knowing the blessing that God already has for you? And one day we will know in all its fullness, of course. What are those things Is it a pattern of behavior that you can't shake? Is it a bitterness towards someone else? Is it a family turmoil you're in? Is it a sickness, a a spiritual lethargy? Is it a feeling of hopelessness? You know that God has good for you, but you don't feel it either individually or together as a church. I want to encourage you this morning, no matter how futile life feels the battle for blessing is won. There is victory even over the toughest of enemies that any of you are facing. We trust in Jesus, the victorious King of kings and Lord of lords. And God wants you to draw, God wants to draw you, his children, into the awesome victory that Jesus has won. He wants you to join him in making a spectacle over sin and death and disappointment where you say, yes, you're real. Yes, I'm struggling to hear, but you will not have the last word because I'm a child of the king. And in him, my victory is sure and certain. So Ellen Baptist Church Raise today and for the coming days, raise the trumpet of God's victory. Raise your victory cry. Don't ever forget that in Christ. He has given you all things, that you are a fellow heir with Christ, an heir of God, and that you share with him in every victory that he has won. And walk forward day by day, chasing towards that final day when the victory that is ours will come to be known and felt and experienced and embraced and enjoyed fully, fully for now and forever, ever more. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you're a God who loves to give good gifts to his children. Thank you, you, you're a God who, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you didn't keep that beautiful harmony, peace, love to yourself, but it overflowed creating this beautiful world and creating each of us here. You shared of yourself and you, you chose a people for yourself through whom you could bring blessing to all the nations of the world. Thank you, God, that though we sin and push you away, you never gave up on your people. You never give up on us. And that in Christ, you have defeated our sin. You have made a way to deal with our rebellion, to draw us back into your heart. Thank you, God, that you're a God who wants to bless us. Thank you that you're a God who wants for us to live in relationship with you. And I pray for myself and for all of us here in Ellen Baptist Church, Father God, that we would know that we are yours, that we would know that the victory over sin and death and sadness is is finally done, it is secure it is complete and I pray father and god for my brothers and sisters here that they would step forward with you in the very heart of the their presence right in the midst of their congregation their assembly that they would walk forward and that they would raise high their victory cry even as they circle enemies of struggle and difficulty that they would know that in you they are secure in you they are victorious Father, I just pray for any who are struggling this morning, suffering, heartbroken, any who have lost hope. Father, I pray that they would know that in Christ, best is yet to come. Lead this church on, I pray, in your grace and your mercy and in your victory. And may we increasingly, Lord, yes, with tears rolling down our faces, May we walk sure of the victory that is ours in Christ. And I pray that for every individual and for this church and for your church in this region and in this world. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.